Y'all be seated. It's good to see you. My name is Matt McGill. Uh, I typically help lead the worship, but I got to say I was blessed to not do that today. And how about the pedal steel from Harper Bassanio and everybody throwing in and doing it so well. What a, what a blessing to hear these songs that seem tailor-made to accompany the message I have to deliver to you today. I'm going to start right off by reading the scripture, the full scripture. It's uh, a little over... 15 verses. Let's see here. God is love. John 1, 4, 7 through 21. God is love is the way that's entitled here in the ESV. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, well, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love of God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. For this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has not seen, cannot love God. Excuse me. He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And that's the reading of God's word this morning. Now, just before I start, let me, uh, let me get out. I, I wear tight jeans. I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm a tight jean wearer. And the, one of the problems with the tight jeans is the keys. And the keys are kind of big. Megan calls these my janitor keys. Now, she calls them my janitor keys because there's so many. I counted this morning. I have 13 keys. I'm not trying to show off. I'm just telling you that the keys to my kingdom are many, okay? I have a lot of keys, and uh, I have to say, I'm going through these keys. There's just, my life seems very, very important the more I look at these keys. There are keys that I have on my keychain that I don't remember what they're for until I need that key, you guys have that experience? I'm going through my keys, and I'm thinking, I'm a blessed man. I got a lot to think about and enjoy and give away. There's a lot in my keys. Now, I'm a lover. I want you to know that. I love things. I love songs. I love uh, uh, cars. I love a woman. Do you know? I love my children. I am a lover. And I want to let you know, there's another guy that's a lover in your midst. His name is Joshua Barton. Now, Joshua Barton is calling me all the time. I love that song. Did you hear that new song? I love it. 
Harry says, I can't wait for worship Sunday, Matt. I love it. I can't wait. My man has a heart, and he directs his heart at things he loves. He actually can't help it. And actually, Joshua is a part-time janitor. Did you know that he's a part-time janitor at this church? And that's a good thing, because while you're not even here, he's preparing a place. He's ordering things. He's getting things set, along with Mark's help. He's getting things set as the janitor of this place that the many ministries that happen in this place are prepared because Joshua loves this. In ways, Joshua has the keys to the house of love. He's got some janitor keys to the house of love. I call this sermon the keys to the kingdom of love. The keys to the kingdom of love. That guy looks like he has, might have a few more than me. But the keys to the kingdom of love. So we're going to talk about that. But first I want to talk about capacity. Okay, capacity, you might also think of possibility, okay? I have a capacity. I have the capacity to learn something, to perform well, to engage. I have all this capacity within myself, and then I also have capacity that's directed outwardly. You may say to yourself when you see someone, oh, that looks like a a, a person I could be friends with. There might exist the relational capacity between you and another person. There is capacity or possibility that exists both within yourself and as you engage with others. But there's a third capacity. That is the capacity to be loved. Now, what does John call us? John calls us beloved. Okay? John calls us his beloved. And give me a second. Did I even pray before I started? What's wrong with me? I find myself a little nervous at this moment by the, by the burden of this opportunity to deliver the word to you guys. The capacity to be loved, I want to tell you, is the greatest capacity you have. The capacity to be loved is the greatest capacity you have. And in Christ, it, it has been maxed out. It has been perfected. You couldn't possibly be loved more. And that's what we're going to look at today. John, John was like one of the youngest disciples. Did you know this? John was maybe 12, 13 when Jesus called him. And not only does John get called along with his brothers James and, and or excuse me, yeah, James and John, not only does he get called along with them, but he gets invited into Jesus' inner circle, the circle of four with Peter, James, and John. John knows what it is. Every movie has this, right? It's like the youngest guy in the crew, right? And he looks up to the oldest guy that really has it together. And what does he see in the face of the man who has called him along with him? What he sees is absolute acceptance, absolute entry into that little family. That's what we have. Let's start today. The name that John pours over us throughout this scripture is beloved. He's been teaching, his teaching only serves to magnify the force of the message. He is saying that you are loved and that you are forgiven by God through Jesus. And at the same time, he's addressing us as his beloved. It's like this group hug from John and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God all just surrounding us with this sense that we are loved. Let's get started. Verse 7, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. First point, love is absolute acceptance by another. Okay, so we have two things going on here. If love is from God and you believe You have been born of God. Now, this is something very intimate, okay? A mother knows what this is, to have a child come from within her. In a sense, you are spiritually begat 
by your father. You, you, lo- the love of God flows through you, and you know it intimately. Another, another word here he says, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Did Adam know Eve? Yes, we're talking about an intimacy. We're talking about an inward, intimate knowledge of what love really is that we have been given in the face of Christ Jesus. Born of God, your eyes have been opened to God's heart in Jesus. Both, you know, Jesus talks to Nicodemus about the first and the second birth, the second birth coming by spirit. Your, your, your eyes have been opened to what love really is. This is an invitation. He says, beloved, let us. This is the invitation to love one another. And then he's going to move on. In verse eight, anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. Second point, love cannot exist, cannot coexist with the rejection of God. Love cannot coexist with the rejection of God. Let me say this. I'm going to run a race, but first, if you could, please chop off my legs. Please chop off my legs because I want to run a race. What kind of sense does that make? Love cannot coexist with the rejection of God. Why? Because God is love. To reject God and try to love is not only unsustainable but ultimately futile and will end in all sorts of a mess that we're going to talk more about here. Because God is love, we are walking in sin when we deceive ourselves to think that we can love apart from the source that is love. You cannot love absolutely. Only God loves perfectly. Now, that's my first big idea that I want you to know. Because you may have many, many loves, both that you love and that love you. But I want you to know this morning, and tomorrow morning it will be the same, only God loves perfectly. You may ask, how does God functionally love perfectly? The answer is in the next verse. Verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, Manifest, just a big word for saying it showed up. God showed us. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love is made manifest eternally in Jesus. Does love end? No, because Jesus is a risen savior. Jesus is alive forever. There's not a day coming nor a day behind that you are not loved perfectly In Christ Jesus, love was made eternally gifted to you. Love was made eternally available to you in Jesus, and it is without end. All other loves end. Love is what we would call the flesh suit of God, right? Jesus, the flesh suit for love, the word made flesh, the visible image of the unseen God. I was once in a room. It was very dark. I couldn't see who was there. I, was, uh, I heard a noise. I was studying the word. And back in the darkness was someone coming closer. And before long, I realized who it was. And I think that is the whole picture of the Old Testament, of God coming out closer and closer and closer through prophecy until in the, birth, in the womb of Mary, God begins in the most fragile and smallest of ways, down to earth. God has come all the way down to earth into the womb of a little girl. In this, not the next verse. Oh, no, you know, I don't want to miss this. It's as if if God was always leading us to this pay-attention moment of Calvary. Do you know what that is? That's something like God showing us on the cross of Christ his heart. I've shown this before. You've seen the Lego heart. 
Show me the Lego heart, Mark. You got it there? The Lego heart, Mark? Just opened up. No, not there. Okay, there's a picture I have. That's okay. Uh, what does the greatest love songs in the world try to communicate? I'm forever yours, faithfully. Isn't that like, it's like one of the greatest love songs, Journey. I'm forever yours, faithfully, until you die. Or until, you know, I lose my job and I, the anxiety has us fighting so much that I start drinking too much. You know, whatever. What I'm saying is the, the greatest utterance that you could, the most security that you could possibly have is someone saying, I'm forever yours, faithfully. This is what we have in Jesus. Now, verse 10, and he kind of turns on us here. Listen, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Next point, love does not have its origin with us. Its origin is in God. God's chosen people had become obsessed with showing God how much they loved him and showing other people how much they loved God. They were like slaves to religion. Their morality was anchored in their effort and not the love of God to them. They hadn't been presented with Jesus yet. The people of the covenant, that's us, are less concerned with loving how we love God than God's love for us. It's a subtle distinction, but it, me it makes a whole lot of difference in your functional expression of God's love. If you're, if you're preoccupied with showing the world how much you love God, you probably don't have enough time to actually love his people. Beloved, again, he just weaves it in, right? Like when I'm talking to Megan, I want her to hear me. Honey, honey, baby, sweetie pie. I mean, this is, the, this is language of intimacy that creates a space where we can hear the love of God coming through the word of God made text here as John has understood what it is to be completely accepted by a savior. Beloved, if, if God so loved us, we also ought to. To love one another. Now, if you know me, you know that I am what, G what Eric calls a freedom fighter. I do not want a law put on me. Do not tell me I ought or I should do something. I don't want to hear it. All it does is make me get away from that, right? So I want to take a little bit of the sting out of this because you might be hearing this like, you ought to love one another. You ought to get, pull yourself up and love one another. Now, what am I I don't know what the voice is about, but it sounds like the voice of the law coming out. You ought to love one another. It's like, here's what it is. This is the natural progression of love fully received, is that you can't help but love one another, okay? You can't help love one another. It's like a ball rolling down a hill is going to get faster and faster and more and more. This is the logical extension. This is the natural progression of things, of a, a savior fully received, love fully received, cannot help but have its way with you and work through you. Sidebar here. If you were raised under a, a culture of morality, it can be comforting to come in and be told what you ought to do. Listen, it binds you together with other people, others that agree with you. But once you are, praise God, removed from cultures of morality, and I don't know if any of us actually ever are, really, but once you are delivered from this culture of morality, you will find compassion for those who still suffer under its impossible demand. And the only answer for them is the love of Jesus through you. 
Big idea number two. Belovedness is the root, is the root that produces the fruit of Emmanuel in our lives. Belovedness. See, the fact that you are loved in Christ gives you forever his presence. Emmanuel, God with us. He has declared finally, absolutely, that he is for us and with us forever. You sin, you remember Christ on the cross. You have your darkest moment, you know that resurrection is coming because you are his and none can pluck you from his hand. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is love. Love is the indicative fueling the imperative. What is the indicative? The indicative is what has been done. The imperative is what must be done. The indicative of what has been done, God has loved you, empowers you to love one another. They're connected. It's a flow. It's a flow, guys. You know what I'm saying? And where there's stoppage, we need Jesus. Where there's constriction, where there's clottage, we need Jesus to come in and make a way. Okay, now we're talking about something like boots on the ground, love for one another. This is like flow state. It's from me to you, you to me. Now we're getting warmed up. God can be made known in our midst because he is absolutely perfect in his love. We receive that by the Spirit, and it defeats daily the God rejecter that lives in every one of us. There is a God rejecter that lives in every one of us. I call that your personal relationship with Satan. Every one of you has one. You sow to it or you starve it, according to Paul. But that must be defeated by the cross every day in your life, and it can be because God is with us, Emmanuel's presence. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance, not work harder. 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us, because he has given us his spirit. Love gives us ongoing confidence. Now, Eric has called this abiding assurance. I'm going to call it ongoing confidence. Uh, you know, there's the English, po- the English poet Francis Thompson called God the hound of heaven. When you cannot get away from this idea that God has loved you to the end that he has cost everything, that he has co- it cost him everything, that he gave his life away for you. I can't get away from this, guys. And I know it's sort of my job to not get away from it, but before that, I couldn't get away from it. Once you have received the truth of God's love for you in Jesus, it stays in your head and it tracks, it tracks you down in your heart. It's always coming after you because you're going to find yourself depleted by the imperfect loves, the lesser gods that you find yourself so predisposed to give your heart away to. Here it is. And, and, and here, this is St. Augustine. Listen to this. We say that the human will is helped to achieve righteousness in this way. Human beings receive the Holy Spirit so that there arises in their minds a delight, a delight in and a love for that highest and immutable good that is God so that they have their well-being from him They have their being, from him whom they have their being. That is, the one who gives us being also gives us well-being. Father, let's look at this. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Love awakens us to our place in the family of God. Do you see this? This is the introduction now in this space of Father and Son love. Father John is now using familial language and triggering, triggering in our memory any 
good, any good that we have ever received from a father. Maybe it's a sliver for some, maybe it's a whole lot for others, I don't know. But he's triggering now any good that we have ever received from the Father, it's that it comes down from, from, our, from our Lord on high. Savior, here it is. And do you have a favorite name for Jesus? I asked Blythe the other day, Blythe said, Savior is my favorite name for Jesus. And I almost cried because that's my favorite name for Jesus. It's like that's the place that keeps us connected to the gospel is that we have a Savior every day delivering us from our lesser selves. The greatest thing a God of love could do is seek and save. We are saved from wrath and saved to the family of God. Whoever confesses, this is 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Now the, the word confesses is homologeo. That is something that it says to say the same thing, to be in agreement Love opens our mouths to confess that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Love awakens us and sets free. What did Jesus say? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That is our agreement and confession and proclamation that we are his and he is ours eternally. Speech matters. Alignment with God is both the goal and the promise. The goal here and the promise from God here. You see, that's heaven and earth colliding Okay, so 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. I see, do you see that these are like keys on a janitor's? Do you know, each one of these verses stands on its own, and yet they're connected to the whole, the whole reality of God's unlocking presence, unlocking his presence to you. Here we go. So we have come to know, I read that. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Love exists beyond our time, place, pain, circumstances, fear, disappointment, anger, you fill in the blank. It's always, that is, never not available to you. Seventeen, by this is love perfected. With us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in the world. Love gives everything to his beloved. The fullness of his love poured out for forgiveness for you and for righteousness to you by becoming what he was not, sin, and we become what we were not, righteous. And because it's God giving, it never stops coming, it's a cup overflowing. It never ends. 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. I want to say that's my linchpin of all of this. That's the, that's the thing, man. Perfect love casts out fear because you're a fearful people. I'm a fearful person because I so regularly love things that cannot love absolutely. And so I'm dissatisfied, I'm despondent, I'm discouraged, and I need to remember that perfect love casts out fear. And guess what? I have it all the time. I need to look no further than the face of Jesus. Perfect love casts out fear. Love annihilates fear. You guys scared? I'm scared. If you say you're not scared, you're probably lying to yourself. And you should find somebody that you can tell you're scared to. Because it's necessary to confess the emotions that are actually going on and then be encouraged by a brother or sister. That perfect love casts out fear. 
The two cannot go together. Fear promotes hiddenness. Love promotes honesty. You've heard where the law abounds, the trespass increases. Megan's been helping me eat better. She's been watching me. Yesterday, I was afraid she was going to be angry. She did find me eating a breakfast taco out by the trash can, stuffing it in real quick. And I looked and she'd caught me. She was gracious. But I want to let you know that where the law abounds, the trespass increases. You know, (laughs) with less hope comes more fear. With less hope. Guys, we live in an age of fear. But we have a God of hope who has provided us the keys to the kingdom of love in the midst of the age of fear. You know, you know, there's so many part-time lovers. That's Stevie Wonder, part-time lovers. We don't want those. Have you accepted an imperfect love and tried to extract from an imperfect love, perfect love? You will be dissatisfied. Your marriage will end in shambles. Love and fear cannot coexist. Love annihilates fear. Big idea number three, imperfect love exacerbates condemnation, which leads to fear. Imperfect love, now maybe you know this, maybe you know an imperfect relationship. Imperfect love reminds us that they will never change. That they'll always be this way, or I'll never change, or I'll always be this way. I can't be what he needs. I can't be what she needs. I deserve this or that. She or he deserves my wrath for what he or she does. Or I mean, it's the whole thing is a mess. There will always exist a natural hostility between people, even husband and wife, a natural hostility that can only be erased or let out, the steam let out by the love of God in Christ Jesus. Men, we wash our wives with the water of the word, not pithy resolutions to do better in time, but reminders of our mutual belovedness. Smoke, mirrors, razzle-dazzle of words or bouquets of flowers are just band-aids on the gaping wound that imperfect love sets on us. Okay, we're all scarred by that, whether we are purveyors of it or receivers of it. Imperfect love makes us, in the sovereignty of God, absolutely ready to receive, him, to receive perfect love. Do you know what I mean? The big idea, the path from loneliness to solitude, Henri Nouwen talks about it, a daily transformation that takes place as we abide. From loneliness, I'm all alone, nobody loves me, I'm a victim of imperfect love, to prayer, to solitude, to this sense of Emmanuel with me on my best and worst days, on the mountain and in the valley. Horizontal relationships, listen, horizontal relationships, that's me to you, they do not naturally have the power of perfect love. We need a supernatural God to infuse us vertically with horizontal power to love like he has loved. The big idea number four, the vertical love of God and the horizontal power to distribute the love of God merges on the cross of Calvary. Only God could have thought of the perfect symbol for our faith. Only God. Why? It's a cross. What happens as we walk through time? We walk on this linear space of horizontal uh, you know, relationships one to another. But what do we get from God? This vertical truth of his love that goes with us as we travel, goes with us. That means no matter where you are on your timeline of life, God's Emmanuel presence is making a cross over you. Do you see what I mean? That you get the vertical love of God, that you can bend it out horizontally to those you love. That's what John is trying to help us understand here. Ask yourself, are you his beloved? To know and believe the love of God for us, that means your capacity to be loved is maxed out. 
You couldn't be loved more. But see, this is the thing. is we tend, to, we tend to think our relationships with one another are like our relationships with God, but they're not. They're not. Our relationships with one another are based on expectation and oftentimes are characterized by disappointment. But that we have a God who does not disappoint relieves us, frees us to love one another because that's how much we've been loved. There's one perfect love, and it's vertical, sent down to us all the way down that we can spread it around now. Verse 20, I know I'm giving you a lot today. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Why? Because love must flow. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Love speaks Christ as Savior. Haters going to hate Liars gonna lie. There will always be blind people among us who think they see. Don't be distracted. You know the source of love. It's inside you now. Stop saying, stop saying you love God. Jesus came into a world of people saying, saying they love God in the town square. To anyone they know, I love God. Stop saying that. Stop dealing in abstractions when you're really telegraphing that you want to be, to anybody who will listen, that you want to be the kind of person that loves God, the kind of person that can be trustworthy. I want to be that kind of person. Just don't do that because you can't love God apart from God. It's not possible. Focus in thought and prayer and speech and confession on the eternally liberating truth of God's love for you and you will be saved to love others. Big idea number five. In Christ, you live in the perpetual revealing that you are his beloved. Guess what? You don't know today how loved you are. Tomorrow, you're going to get to know a little bit more, and the next day a little bit more, and the next day a little bit more. And every time you stub your toe or sin or miss the mark, you're going you're gonna to be bathed in grace that overwhelms you with God's presence. Love must flow. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves must, God must also love his brother. It must happen. Don't stop saying that you love God. Receive his love and love his people because then you're in alignment with his heart if you're loving one another. That's what John seems to be saying here today. So to revisit some of our big ideas for today, big idea number one, only God loves perfectly. All other loves in your life must be measured against the absolute love of God. When false loves are revealed, reckon them forgiven and grow in grace. Number two, belovedness is the root that produces the fruit of Emmanuel in our lives. God's presence provides you assurance of his steadfast love. Why? Because Jesus in one sense, is always on the cross. And in another sense, he's always rising from the dead. What do you need from Jesus? Do you need to know that he will give up everything for you? Look at the cross. Do you need to know that your dark day will find a a sunrise in the morning? Look at the resurrection. It's there for you always. Nobody can take that truth from you. It's alive by the Spirit within you. But it can only be experienced this day. We learned with the, the experience in the wilderness of the Israelites that you can't store up the manna for tomorrow. 
You can't love God enough today and receive God's love enough today that you'll be good for tomorrow. It's an every day. Pick up your cross and die daily. Kill the rejecting, God rejecting you. Let him be crucified on the cross that you can fully receive in that posture all that God has for you just as his son did. Big idea number three, imperfect love exacerbates condemnation, which also leads to fear. You know the vacation that keeps you longer than you want to stay, costs you more than you uh, wanted to spend, and satisfies way less than you hoped it would? That's imperfect loves. Those are imperfect loves. When you give your love to some lesser love, it possesses you. Now, I'm obsessive and compulsive, I want to say. I have plenty, I have lots of experience of loving things too much and finding myself really dissatisfied in all the relationships in my life in chaos because of it. You, you become a slave to what you give your heart to. We aren't, remember, we are not primarily thinking thinkers. God knows us. We are primarily loving lovers. We are worshipers. We are built for worship. And when we give our worship away to lesser gods, we become the slaves that we fear we are. Do you worship your son's capacity to play baseball? Do you worship your capacity to put deals together? Do you worship at the feet of politics, hoping against hope that there's a side that you identify with that one day will reign supreme? Whatever you worship functionally owns you and exacerbates fear, but there's a cross for that daily. Big idea number four, we're almost there. The vertical love of God and the horizontal power to distribute the love of God merged on the cross of Calvary. I love the cross as a symbol. Only God could have come up with this. Wherever God is moving in your life, he circumvents your plant. X marks the spot. There he is. In breaking into your life and your schemes and your dreams, he will break you. Life will break you. And then he will fill you. A broken heart is where God makes space for himself in your life. And finally, big idea number five. In Christ, you live in this perpetual revealing that you are his beloved and that's what this is. That's what this is, guys. Church, week by week, day by day, conversation by conversation, heartbreak by heartbreak, laugh by laugh, drink by drink, it is being revealed to us that God is love. And in Jesus on the cross, he showed us love and birthed that reality in us to share in and revel in. Are you locked up? Are you locked out in some way? Is there... Too much of a mess for you to clean up? Do you need a friend who you can talk to anytime? Do you need access to the good gifts of God and the life abundant therein? There's a janitor. There's a janitor who cleans. There's a janitor who has all the keys. There's a janitor who makes the space by his spirit within you. And his name is not Joshua, though, jo though it's sort of like it. It's Yeshua. It's Jesus who has the keys to the kingdom of love. And he means to unlock you by, on the daily. He is love and he possesses the keys to the kingdom. Receive him again this day and believe and love one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've not held anything back from us. We thank you that you give without end. And we thank you that we have been possessed and obsessed with this idea that you love us, with this hope that you love us. And we find ourselves freer, more grateful, more at ease, kinder, more generous, less caught up in the ways of this world because you have raptured us 
by your Holy Spirit, lifted us out of the muck and mire of this world, that we may be caught up in love with you and your kingdom that reigns eternal. Lord, would you move this day in our lives and continue to draw us to that day of Christ Jesus wherein we will be completely overwhelmed eternally by his love. We thank you this day. And we love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.